Staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening. Your host, Bishop E. W. Jackson. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord one more time. Amen. I welcome all of you and glad to have you here with us. We welcome our live stream audience. Glad to have you all with us. Uh, people from all over the country are watching and they continue to watch throughout the week. And we're grateful for that. Grateful to be able to get the word of God out. Amen. And we appreciate hearing from all of you who are listening. Um, needless to say, we do hear from people who don't like what they hear. Uh, Pastor Maul and I get a laugh sometimes about some of the crazy letters that we get. But, uh, but, but we praise God for those of you who do appreciate it and are willing to express that and encourage us. So keep doing that. All right, look, we are teaching a series right now on the fruit of discipleship. And this is the seventh message in that series. I've got two more that I'm planning to teach, although this one may have a second part. But so right now, two or three more sermons and we will be done with this series. And I think there's going to be a kind of package between the seven core principles of Christianity and the fruit of discipleship, because I think they go together as a package to help us lay a groundwork, uh, a, a foundation for here are the principal things that Christians ought to have as our priorities. And then here are the fruits that we ought to bear in our lives as a result of having these things in our priorities. So, so I hope that all of you are aware of, of how this is flowing and that you get that past series and review that and get these messages and review them. I actually had somebody say to me, uh, one time, and, and I, I understand it. They said, wow, I mean, you, you, you cover so much. I, I have a hard time keeping up. And I said, but that's what, this, that's what the CDs and the DVDs, that's what the recordings are for. So you can go back and listen again and try to absorb and hear what you didn't hear before. Uh, because there's no question that if I preach for an hour, you're going to miss some things. There's some things you'll hear, but they will just, just kind of get away from you. And when you listen again, you'll say, oh, wow, I didn't, you know, I don't think I heard that the first time. Or something, the Holy Spirit may strike your spirit with something that you hear that second time. And frankly, that's what the discipleship meetings on Wednesday nights are for. I know those of you who are watching live stream don't get a chance to join in with those, but you are certainly welcome. Everyone is invited. In fact, we ought to post that somewhere so that others can get involved uh, in those. But that's what we do. We review the message for the purpose of trying to make sure that we really got it and then that we apply it to our lives. So last week I talked about managing relationships and there's a lot of stuff in there, a lot of stuff in there about, about relationship uh, and relationships in God's economy, in God's kingdom, from God's perspective. And we talked a lot about the importance of us establishing a proper relationship with ourselves understanding ourselves and asking God to heal us of the hurts, the pains, the problems, the issues that have resulted from the way we've been mistreated, perhaps sometimes by those who we trusted, um, sometimes in a, in some kind of a, a friend, friendship relationship, or sometimes in a parental relationship or a sibling relationship or an employment relationship. Uh, I said, the biggest problem God has is people. I said, but it's only the second biggest problem we have the biggest problem we have is ourselves. Amen. We get that straight. Believe it or not, that straightens out a whole lot of stuff with a whole lot of other uh, people and situations. Amen. All right. Praise God. But here again, that's just a, a one minute snapshot of what that was all about. All right. Today, we're talking about 
stewarding financial resources. Well, Bishop, what in the world does that have to do? Uh, can man, we we've got some. Never mind. We we've got some monitors we got to get up because I I need I need something more here than what I can hear. Um, we we've got to uh, ask ourselves the question because the body of Christ tends to ask this question. Why does the church talk about money? Because, you know, most Christians don't like that. They don't even want to hear you talk about money. So I have a very simple answer because Jesus did. So don't have a problem with me. Go talk to him. Tell him you don't like it. <laughs> See how far they get you. Amen. Amen. That's why we talk about money, because Jesus talked about money. And again, we're supposed to declare the whole counsel of God. Amen. 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 Jesus said, by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And we're dealing with the various areas of life where you ought to bear fruit. You ought to be bearing fruit in your relationships. You ought to be bearing fruit in your money. You ought to be bearing fruit in the stewardship of your finances. Amen. Amen. So one of the, the fruits then of discipleship is good stewardship of money. M-O-N-E-Y. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. You ought to be a good steward of your money. So before we get in too far into this, let me just go ahead and get you upset and get it out of the way. <laughs> good financial discipleship means staying out of debt. Maybe I better repeat that. Yeah, good financial stewardship means staying out of debt. You know, debt crushes us financially. It hems us in. It limits our ability to do things that God would have us do or that we desire to do that are good. We can't because we're so bound up in debt. Deuteronomy 28.12 says, The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens to give the rain to your land in his season and to bless all the work of your hands. So God says, I'm going to do this for you. Remember, this is under the old covenant. We have a better covenant based on better promises. If God made that promise to them, you know that applies to us. Amen. And then he says, you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. So it wasn't Bishop Jackson's idea. God says, you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Now that announces a theme that I'm going to, be hitting throughout this, which is God wanted his people to be independent, to serve him. And he knew that if they, if the children of Israel borrowed from these pagan nations, they would be serving them. It's the same principle that you've heard me talk about in terms of going up to Egypt and going up to Syria. Can you all have your army help us? And God rebuked them every time. He said, am I not enough for you? You got to go to pagan nations and ask for their help. And look, this principle applies. I know people don't like to hear this, but this whole principle applies in the realm of politics because Christians are allowing themselves to be dependent upon ungodly people who want to get them to put their imprimatur and their seal of approval on abortion and homosexuality and transgenderism. Overlook that because why? Well, we're going to do something for you. I don't need you to do something for me. God will take care of me. Amen. I don't need any political party to take care of me. Their job is to try to steward 
our country, and we're going to get into how, they how they're stewing, stewarding our country's finances, and that's not good either. Lord knows that's not good. So you shall lend to many nations, and you shall not borrow. God counseled them against it because Proverbs 22, 7 says, the borrower is servant to the lender. Amen. Thank you for those two amens. Praise God. And Romans 13, 8 says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. In other words, God says, don't be in debt to people. Only owe them your love. Now, you all have heard me say this. Some of you have been around me long enough have heard me say this. I don't lend money. If somebody comes to me and says, Bishop, I need help. Could you lend me? If I'm able to do it, I'll say no, but I'll give it to you. I mean, give it to you. No strings attached. I don't want to be paid back. Don't give it a second thought. I'm not interested because I don't want people thinking, I'm not going to church today. I was supposed to pay Bishop back last Friday and I didn't have the money. Or, or just ducking you and dodging you because they are no Christians don't put people in that position because all you're doing is really adding to the pressure that is on them. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to be prayerful about it because obviously you don't want people taking advantage of you and using money for purposes that God would not approve of. But but I've done it many, many times. People come to me and say, can, can I borrow? And I say, well, I'll tell you what, I'm, you know, I don't lend money. But here you can have this. If, if I've if I have what you, exactly what you need here, because the Bible says don't send somebody away and say, well, see me another time when you can give it then. Yeah. <laughs> so I just give it. I know, boy, that, that bursts a whole lot of traditional ideas, you know, about people. You know, well, I'm, I, I don't have money to give away. Well, then, then, then don't give it, but don't lend it and get yourself into a situation where you could have bad feelings between you and another human being that you need to win for Christ, maybe, or that you need to help. Now, you can't help them because you're all bound up with what they owe you. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So, look. We should be believing God, and I'm pointing the finger at myself as well, for owning cars without debt, owning homes without debt, being out of all credit card debt, all store credit debt. Amen. <laughs> we should be believing God to be free of all of that. Now, look, I have credit cards. I've got several of them. My wife and I have several credit cards. We do not use credit cards to spend money we don't have. We don't see something we like and say, well, we could just put it on the card. No. If we don't have the money to buy it, we're not buying it. I'm not putting it on the card and paying for it for the next three years and paying three times what it's worth. Now, like I said, I have not lived this perfectly because I think the sooner you get this revelation, you young people, the sooner you get this, if you really begin to apply this to your life, it will work for you in a way that's harder for somebody who's already begun to live in the debt system. You know, mortgages and car payments and all of that. But the church has no debt. Only church the debt has is the van. And by the way, we could have paid for the van. We've got cash, but I didn't want to pay for it cash because I didn't want to deplete our cash reserves. So I, I did it as a management issue. But we had the money to write a check and pay for the van if we wanted to do that. Other than that, we owe no debt at all. There's nothing in here that anybody's sending us payments for. 
10 more payments, Bishop, and you'll be finished paying for the chairs. No, we paid for the chairs cash. Amen. And everything else that's, that's in here. Amen. We didn't, we didn't buy the cameras cash. We didn't buy the pulpit cash. And, and this pulpit behind you is pretty expensive, but we paid for it cash on the barrelhead. Amen. Now, when it comes to me and my wife, we, we are not quite in the same position because we owe, we owe money on our house, obviously. I wish I'd gotten this revelation earlier, and I'll tell you a little story about how Kenneth Copeland worked that out. Uh, and we owe money on our cars. Amen. But you know what? You know how much we owe in credit card debt? Zero. Nothing else. That's it. That's all. Because I'm believing God to ultimately, before I leave this earth, I'm believing God for the house that we live in to be paid for. And I don't mean paid for by life insurance. <laughs> I mean paid for, be living in a house that is completely and totally paid for. Amen. Now, now, Kenneth Copeland got this revelation early in his ministry, and he made up his mind he was not going to borrow, period. Now, of course, he got into trouble. He talks about getting into trouble, going to churches, preaching, staying out of debt. People get mad. I mean, they would get mad. Who does he think he is? We, every, everybody knows you've got to borrow money. And he would say, no, you don't. Yes, you do. And so he and Gloria lived in rented houses and rented apartments, and and, and finally, they wanted to buy a house, and they were trying to figure out where they could find one. And there was, they didn't have the money to, to pay for a house cash. And he's in this dilemma now. Gloria wants a house, and, but he doesn't have the money to pay for a house. And finally, there was a little development that they were selling houses. They were, fair, they were fairly inexpensive, but they didn't have the cash to pay for that. But, you know, the idea was, and this is what he was told, but if you pay a, a significant down payment, you'll be out of debt in just a few years. And he said, at the kitchen table with his mother, his father, and his wife sitting around, he said, he was sitting there thinking, so he said, well, you know, yeah, we could work it out. He said, and something just rose up in him. He said, he stood up and slammed the table. Bam, I promised God I wasn't borrowing money. If I have to live outside, I'm not borrowing any money. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, it turned out, so his father, was going to invest in this development and said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to invest in it. You want to rent one of the houses that I invest? He said, yeah, that, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that, but I'm not going into debt. Within a few years, they had the cash money to buy their first house. I think it cost them $12,000 cash. But guess what? The house increased in value. And when it came time to move, all the value in the house was theirs. And they took the value in that house and bought another house, cash money. And you say, well, that's Kenneth Copeland, their ministry. I know somebody right now living in a house debt-free. They paid off a house in Massachusetts, and when they sold the house, they got the cash and came down here and bought a house cash money, didn't borrow a dime. Don't tell me it's not possible. But see, it looks impossible. But we've got to believe God. It's not, don't just try to do this on your own. But believe God for it, amen? Believe God to get out of debt as soon as you can, as quickly as you can, and then stay out of debt when you get there. Amen. Don't get out of debt and say, oh, we're out of debt now. We could run up $5,000 on the credit card, and we would, we would barely have a monthly payment. You'll be paying for that credit card for 30 years. And by the time it's over, you'll pay $20,000 for a $1,000 purchase. That may be a slight exaggeration, but not much. Amen. 
God doesn't want us in debt. So now, by the way, the spending that is going on in our country right now ought to shake us to the core. It really should. We are $28 trillion in debt in the United States of America. $28 trillion in debt. And you know what? They keep, they keep kicking the can down the road and figure, well, they, uh, they, they, they figure Esther will pay for it or Samuel will pay for it or, you know, Benjamin and Shannon or, 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 or Madeline and, and they'll pay for it because the debt's coming due. The debt is coming due. And what we're doing is we're burdening the next generation with an immense amount of problems and pain because, look, we got, there are two problems. One is the debt itself. Right now, we've got very, very low interest rates. What happens if the interest rates rise? Now, some of you are too young for this, but I'm not. But I remember when mortgage rates were 20%. 20%. And people lost their homes because they, they got variable rate mortgages. Figure well, in five years, things will be better. And then when they had to rewrite the mortgage, they couldn't because their credit was bad for the large payment they already had. And guess what? Now the rate is going up. And sometimes mortgages literally doubled overnight. You got a $1,000 payment this month. Now next month is $2,000. And people got into all kinds of trouble. They got into trouble during the, um, the, the big crisis we had in 2008 with these... Um, uh, subprime loans, people buying houses they couldn't afford because, you know, they figure, well, you know, the interest rates are low and the money's available. They were, they were giving out what they call no document loans. You just show up and say, I want a house and tell them I own enough money to, I, I, I make enough money to buy it. And they would lend you the money for the house. And then when people got in the house and they saw that mortgage payment, oh, whoa, that's a different matter. And all of those loans started defaulting, defaulting. And don't let anybody fool you. This was politicians who brought that upon us because what they were doing, they, they through the Community Reinvestment Act, they were lowering the standards for credit and allowing people to get homes that they felt were discriminated against and they should be able to buy homes. And a lot of times people went out and bought homes that they couldn't afford. And then the whole thing started crashing. Oh, and then on top of that, they took all those mortgages that were no good in the first place and packaged them into what they call securities and then sold them like stock. And they were worthless. And Lehman Brothers, I forget how long Lehman Brothers has been in existence, I think 100 years, collapsed. I mean, that's why people were concerned that the economy was going to be completely destroyed because they saw businesses and banks in such trouble that they weren't sure what the outcome was going to be. That's what debt does. It'll do it to an individual. It'll do it to a family. It'll do it to a country. And now with having COVID hit and all these businesses closed up, and remember 80% of the people in America are employed in small businesses. Most people are not employed in major corporations. Small businesses have closed by the thousands all across the country. Now, most Americans don't get this. You all get this. But the government has no money. The only money the government has is the money that you make and then give it in your taxes. 
It doesn't create anything. It doesn't invent anything. It doesn't build anything except what your money allows it to build. I mean, the government didn't give us these vaccines. Private companies did that. And the government took our taxpayer dollars and paid the companies for it. You know, somebody called a reporter called me from Bloomberg and said, well, you've you've criticized all the money that's being spent and what's going to be done with, you know, the I, and I love the way they you, these politicians play these games. Remember the the big infrastructure bill that the Obama administration passed, that they were going to rebuild the bridges and they were going to pave the roads and they and they had, quote unquote, shovel ready jobs. And do you know, they actually, about two years later, laughed like that was a joke. They, they were on television doing an interview. Yeah, <laughs> we, we had shovel ready. I mean, Barack Obama and somebody else, I forget who the other guy was, they, they laughed and say, shovel ready jobs, except they weren't so shovel ready. <laughs> and just spent the American people's money for nothing. And now we've got an infrastructure bill. I think this one is $2.2 trillion. And this is an infrastructure bill. 6% of it is going for roads and bridges. And now infrastructure is being redefined. Basically, infrastructure is whatever my liberal buddies want. <laughs> and the thing is, it's all borrowed money. Look, taxpayer money, of course, now they, they're using fees to try to you know, raise money with fees, everything. You know, uh, I, I, we, uh, uh, the call church is a nonprofit, stand is a nonprofit. It's a $600 fee to file for a nonprofit license. So they're collecting this money, you know, for, for these fees to provide these government services. But then here's the worst of it. They're printing money. I mean, I could be rich if I could just go print it. I'd be a millionaire tomorrow. <laughs> but they call that counterfeiting. <laughs> but, you know, the government's not doing much, much that's different. Because, look, money only has value in exchange for something, right? And its value is determined by the level of that exchange. I couldn't go take this chair and say, hey, I'll trade somebody for your car. Because you'd say, I'm not trading you my car for a chair. The chair doesn't have sufficient value to make up the value of the car. Well, guess what? Here's what the government is saying. Well, I tell you what, we'll make a thousand chairs. You say, well, but the chairs are worthless to me. They, don't, they won't transport me. They won't take me anywhere. And, and so when you start printing money, it's the same principle. We'll just print it. But the more of it you print, the less valuable it is. My father used to tell me that back in the 1950s, when I, you know, he, maybe, maybe the late 40s, he had, you know, he had a second family before he married my mother. My father said he could go to the supermarket with $5 and bring home two or three baskets of groceries with $5. Try it today. Yeah, get, fill your basket up and get to the counter and say, I got five bucks. They'll lock you up. <laughs> you well, well, why is that? It's because printing money causes inflation and devalues the currency so that eventually the currency is worthless. And, and guess we owe... 25% of the debt in this country is owed to foreign countries, including $1 trillion to communist China. Communist China. We're borrowing money from communist China. 
So I said, this Bloomberg reporter called me and said, well, since you're so much against how the money is being spent, don't you think that your parishioners should not take the money? I said, well, they can do more with it than a politician can. Amen. I mean, it's their money. Amen. Why should they give it back? Like, but the, but the mindset is, it's the government's money. You don't have a right to it. No, it's our money. They don't have a right to it. <laughs> not to waste it, praise God. <laughs> praise God. So, 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 saints, don't run up these credit card bills. Don't get into debt. Start, if, if you are in debt right now, make up your mind. Go to God and say, Lord, help me. I, I want to get out of debt. And I'm including your mortgage payment, your car note. I, Lord, I want to be out of debt. I don't want to owe anybody anything but to love them. Amen? Amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Now, look, so a disciple of Jesus Christ has also got to understand then two things about money. Number one, money is a tool. It's a tool. And number two, money is a test. It's a test. You go to Luke chapter 16. Look, let's look at verses 6 through 13. Luke chapter 16, verses 6 through 13. You know, Jesus talked a lot about money. <laughs> he did. He talked a lot about it. And you can understand that because money was one of the things that had people hung up. Right? And of course he's going to address that because that's something that was very important in people's lives. And he wanted them to see that your money cannot be more important than God. And it's no different today than it was then. People idolize money. And we as disciples of Jesus Christ cannot do that. Luke chapter 16, verses 9 through 13 says, <clears throat> if you have it with me, you have it, you can read it with me. It says, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, look, this passage comes right behind the passage on the unjust steward, right? You all know that passage, uh, this steward. Let, let's, to, to modernize it, uh, the CEO of a company is working for the chairman of the board, and he's got control of pretty much everything, and he wastes it. He blows it. And, of course, the chairman of the board hears about it, calls him onto the carpet and says, you know, I've heard that you, you're wasting the company's money, and, and get your act together, get, pack your stuff up, and give me a final report because you're not going to be steward anymore. And steward says, oh, my goodness. He says, I can't dig ditches, and I don't want to beg. And he says, here's what I'll do. So he went out and found all the customers that his boss was doing business with, his company was doing business with, and started discounting their debt. To one uh, who was doing oil business with him, he discounted the debt 50%. To another who was doing in the wheat business, he discounted it 20%. And when his boss found out, he commended him. So wait a minute, why would you commend him? Because the boss, I think, thought two things. Number one, you're finally doing something for other people to build better relationships 
So at least you're smart enough to understand you can't make it on your own. So you're doing something for others to sort of pave the way for a better life. And finally, and finally, you're doing something that might ultimately redound to the benefit of the company. Because now these people are going to have been given a break.